Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers who are tired of preaching on the same thing all the time, and for parishioners who are tired of hearing the same thing all the time. (laughs) I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. This is First Reading for March 29th, 2020. That's the the last Sunday in Lent, depending on how you're counting and whether Palm Passion Sunday is part of Lent or not. But uh, Holy Week is coming up next week after this text. And Rachel has prepared for us some thoughts on Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14, which is, oh, that's a, that's a great text, isn't it? That's the, yeah. the, the dry bones, the valley of dry, dry bones. bones. Dry bones, absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, what a great text. You all should definitely preach on this one. Absolutely. So what do we want to give preachers to help them get a handle on this? So Ezekiel can be a tough nut to crack. This is probably one of the most forgiving texts in all of Ezekiel. It's uh, filled with imagery, but it doesn't sound too obscure to us. Um, There's nothing violent in it, which can happen in earlier Ezekiel. (laughs) So in some ways, this is an easy kind of toe to dip in if you've never preached on Ezekiel before. But I still think there are a couple of really important things to keep in mind for anybody who's preaching on Ezekiel. So the first one is knowing who Ezekiel is preaching to. Ezekiel is prophesying to a specific group of people. When Jerusalem and Israel went through national disaster, they were conquered, their temple was destroyed, some of the city itself was destroyed, a group of people were exiled. It was probably the the rich, the powerful, some amount of the population that was really essential to running the system of Judah. They were taken out of Jerusalem and placed in exile in Babylon. Essentially, if you're talking in terms of like the Super Bowl of nations, they lost big time. They got creamed. And so they are sitting in exile and they are a traumatized community. Uh, We have a really great episode with Carol Newsom from September 29th, 2019. She talked about uh, what siege warfare was like and what effects it might have had on this community. And if you haven't heard that one, I might suggest going and listening to that because she paints such a vivid picture of Classic first reading. Classic first reading, exactly, yeah. So that's the community that's been exiled. This isn't like a Tuesday conflict with a coworker kind of text. It's a, it just got real kind of text in a rock bottom kind of way. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing to keep in mind anytime you're preaching Ezekiel. And the second thing to know is where in Ezekiel your text is coming from. Because there's really two main movements in the book of Ezekiel. Of course, this is simplifying things. But basically, in the first part of Ezekiel, God is dealing with the illusions of this ruined people. Now, this is a people who, like I said, have been through trauma, but according to Ezekiel and according to God, they brought it on themselves. And so in the first part of Ezekiel, God, through Ezekiel, in no uncertain terms, tells them exactly how and how badly they messed up. Like this is the equivalent of the divine, I gave you so many dang chances, Mm -hmm. if you're thinking of like a parent to child, and you just couldn't get it together. So that's the first part of Ezekiel. It's that holding up of the mirror real close to the people who are in exile in Babylon. Like an intervention. It's a reality check. Yes, right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great way to think about it. But we're in the second half of Ezekiel now. So 
Here, we're assuming that the people have realized they are at rock bottom with no excuses and no one to blame but themselves. And at this point, preachers, you might want to stop and ask your congregation, does that sound familiar to any point in your life? Uh, And if not, they may need to do a little more reflecting because we've (laughs) all been there. You can describe this sort of rock bottomness to them, that there's no illusions left, but no hope is left either because you cannot see your way out of it. You need someone to come and implant hope into you to give you hope. And that's really what's going on in this text. So that's a little bit to know about just preaching Ezekiel in general. So let's get into this this particular passage here. Just a super, super vivid passage with such imagery. I mean, you can can see this coming right off the page. Oh, man. Yes, you absolutely can. And so many artists have represented this story in different uh, forms and media of art because it's so powerful. And, and that's my first preaching tip, is just preach this story. Lay it out for your folks. Walk through it with them. The imagery sustains itself throughout this pericope, and it almost is gift-wrapped. And, and not just gift-wrapped for you as a preacher, but it's almost gift-wrapped for your people, too. Because it's talking about dry bones. It's talking about an image of despair and hopelessness. And when we get to those points in our lives, we cannot see our way through to the other side. We need hooks to hang our hats on or lifelines to grab onto to trust that we're gonna make it through those times. And this story and this imagery of this story can help your folks when they are in that position to give them something to bring them through it. So give them this story as a gift and start it just by walking them through it. You know, I mean, verses one to two are, are graphic in that these, these talks about these bones and these bones are dead and them bones are dry. Uh, he- <laughs> Hebrew is not very effusive in use of adjectives or adverbs, but this is one of the more emphatic moments, I would say, even in the whole Bible. When it talks about um, Ezekiel being led around the valley, it says that he was led saviv, saviv. So the same word is repeated. It's like being led around and around or all around the valley. And then when it talks about how many bones there were, it says vehene, rabot, ma'od. Ma'od is one of those words like very. And it doesn't show up all that much in the Bible. But you get this fantastic image of what life can feel like in those moments of despair, of being led around and around a valley of dry, dry bones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what is a dry bone? Aren't all bones dry? Like, what's, what's going what? on? Yeah, no, that's a great idea. I think the one way to think about this would be sun-bleached bones. Hmm. Bones that have been left out for so long, there's no marrow, there's no life, they're as dead as can possibly be. I just uh, last week watched uh, Monty Python's Holy Grail with my son. And, you know, there's that classic scene with the knight uh, who is sort of dismembered one piece at a time. <laughs> it's and only a flesh wound. Right. And all, is, all that's left is basically his trunk. And he still wants, you know, he's, he's still got some life there. I'm not dead yet. He's not dry bones yet. He's just lots of blood. This is different. These bones, like, there's no flesh. Whatever was there has been picked off by the by, by the buzzards or whatever, and they've been bleached in the sun. So it's like uh, that, that question, can, can these bones live? 
Yeah. Yeah, Probably not. <laughs> they're about but, as dead as they can get. Well, it's such a fantastic question because it's one of those that's like, this is a trick question. You know, anytime you're asked a question by God or an angel, it's always good to equivocate in your answer. So don't give a yes or a no, which Ezekiel does beautifully. The angel or the messenger asks him, oh, mortal, can these bones live again? And I'm assuming Ezekiel's thinking, no, but what Ezekiel says is, oh, Lord God, only you know. So it's this kind of idea that like everything in me is saying no, but I'm not going to put myself out there because I feel like this is leading somewhere. And it totally is because the next verse is just one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And I know I say it a lot, but I mean it. It says, he said to me, prophesy to the bones. And oh my gosh, Tim, ever since I've heard that phrase, I have just loved it. I've loved it because of this idea of death that somehow can still, life can be pulled out of it. You know, it's like preach to the graves almost. This idea that even in the midst of things that seem like there's no hope and no life, God still says prophesy to the bones. And and what he says to say is, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is what a prophet says to a group of people when God mm-hmm. has a message to them. And so what's kind of beautiful about this passage is that God says, um, sort of like what we talked about last week was seeing with the eyes versus the heart. God says it might look like these are as dead as dead can be. And yet I want you to treat them as if they were alive. Prophesy to the bones. And uh, the Hebrew here is really beautiful. I just kind of love this, so I'm going to read it out loud. It says, Ha'atzamot haveshot shim'u devar Adonai. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And at that point, if you have anything in your church that's like a small child's instrument that you could bring out like an egg shaker or something like that, get someone to start shaking it. Because what happens next in the story is this, the bones start to shiver. The bones start to rattle. So if you're, if you're in need of a children's sermon, I would say absolutely do this sermon and give them you know, sound effects tools and have them help you through it. But I would not contain that to just the children's sermon. I, I think, right. again, if you're giving this story as a gift to people, I think you make it as alive as possible. Um, and so one way I, I, I think if I were preaching, it would be distracting for me to both preach and try to have a musical instrument in my hand at the same time. So it could be fun to plant someone in the congregation. And every time you say a particular word, have them shake whatever you give them or, or turn a rain stick upside down or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Adult sermons need to be multi-sensory. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, multisensory indeed, especially because this text is multisensory in every possible way. In verses 5 to 6, we hear more about what Ezekiel is supposed to prophesy to these bones. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that God says, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live again. I will lay sinews upon you and cover you with flesh and form skin over you and I will put breath into you and you shall live again and you shall know that I am the Lord. And how you understand this text really kind of depends on the tone you give it because that can be a really beautiful, hopeful promise to these dry, dry bones. It can also be a little bit threatening, like whether you like it or not, you're coming back to life. (laughs) And I, I think that's, that's kind of 
one of the things I kept playing with as I was thinking about a sermon with this is um, what about folks or us in our lives when we don't want to be given hope? We want to hang on to those dry bones. We want to clutch and hang on to those things in our life that are draining life from us because it feels familiar or because it feels safe. So I think depending on your context, you could really preach this two different ways. You could preach it as this beautiful world word of hope to people who are desperate for hope. You could also preach it as a word of hope for people who don't want hope, perhaps. Um, <laughs> and I think both sermons would be really good. Yeah, I think the the force of this, and it, I mean, I think you're totally right that the the hope here is profound, but the power that's in the word of God is the other sort of message that's in this text, that this stuff is going to happen just because God says so. Yeah. <laughs> and things yeah. happen. Yeah, and that takes us right back to the first creation story where stuff happened, life happened purely through the word of God. And here you have this traumatized community, which I'm imagining is thinking, how could we ever dig our way out of this? How could anything possibly good happen again? And God is saying, well, through the word of God, it can. Mm-hmm. So you get this going throughout your sermon, and, and I think that's really the whole point of this text, um, which is driven home in verse 14. So I'm going to read verse 14 in both Hebrew and English. I'll kind of translate as I go, but I just want you to hear the, the power of those words rhetorically as they're being driven home. So God says this, V'natati ruhi vachem v'chitem. And I shall place my spirit in you, and you shall live. And I will give you rest upon your land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I have acted, declares the Lord. So the NRSV kind of polishes up that up a little bit and makes it a little smoother. But I think the point is stronger if you let the syntax read a little more literally. God is driving this point home. The whole point of this whole business is that people will know in their very bones that they will inhabit, ingest, embody the truth that God is their God, speaks in their lives, and acts even when things seem hopeless. I think that's where the text is leading here, and I think it can be a really powerful story for people to hold on to. Yeah, the last like uh, sort of linguistic thing that I'd point to, again, just as, as long as we're taking apart verse 14 here, just how much uh, first and second person is in there. This is mm. so intimate and relational. Mm. I will do this. I will put my spirit in you you shall live. I will give you rest. You shall know that I am the Lord. I've spoken. I've acted. Mm -hmm. So it's not just God talking about some situation out there in some other place, but this is about you and I knowing each other and that playing out in the the hope that God has for this people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I um, I think you are right on in coaching preachers to let the imagery in this passage in a way speak for itself Mm -hmm. it's it's so powerful that 
there's not a whole lot that you have to do as a preacher to help this hit home. Just bring it to life as best you can. And yeah. it's the word of God that will have the effect in people's hearts and in their lives. Exactly. And I think if you really wanted to, you could start to tip it towards the Passion Week too. I could imagine a really great um, Good Friday sermon that would reflect back on this and would maybe bring this story with it too. So if you wanted to start thinking ahead and tying them together in that way, that could be a really powerful arc throughout your, your Passion Week. Smart. I like it. <laughs> Well, thanks, Rachel. Again, we, we're, we're hitting all these classic texts, but I really, I really love the way that you brought out the heart of what's going on here. And no wonder that it's one of your favorites. Absolutely. Well, dear friends and listeners, uh, if you liked that, there's a whole lot more over at our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. As a podcast, you can subscribe to us so that you get new episodes each week when they come out. You can do that on iTunes or wherever you like to get your podcasts, or you can subscribe right on our website. And uh, by the way, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to hear what you like about what we're doing or what you think absolutely stinks. Because, you know, we might do something differently. <laughs> but uh, we'll keep bringing out episodes for you. So until next week, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching. <laughs>